0: This podcast aims to shed light on Arizona's legislative process through personal narratives. Each episode will highlight a certain step of the bill process, and we will hear from specialists, academics, and legislative members to give us a deeper understanding of the inner workings of government and how you can have your voice heard. Let's go. Arizona Common Ground is about exploring issues from a public health perspective. While recording and listening to this podcast, I hope to create an environment where we can challenge ourselves to listen intently, think openly, debate intelligently, and care endlessly. So thank you for listening in. Support for AZ Common Ground comes from the Western Region Public Health Training Center at the University of Arizona. When you first walk into a legislative room, it can be quite intimidating to see so many unfamiliar faces. So, to familiarize ourselves with the process and who is involved, we will be speaking with two legislative staff members. Cherie, who works as a bipartisan policy analyst, and Democratic Policy Advisor Roxana. Together, they will walk us through who is who in the legislative room. We will explore the documents created for the legislators to best prepare them for voting in committee, We will inquire on the fact sheets that are developed for every bill that is created, who makes them, and what research is behind those documents. In addition, we will ask about how specialists and public health professionals can share their expertise with committees. Oh, and quick pop quiz question. Do you know how many committees exist in the House and the Senate? And what is a page? Lastly, we will discuss certain terms such as the hopper, dropping bills, and we'll briefly expand on the life journey of a bill. Let's go. Hi, this is Heather Carter, State Senator from Legislative District 15.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Ensel, Vice President of Government Relations at the Arizona Hospital and Healthcare Association.
0: I'm Deb Gullett. This is Dr. Laura Coco.
1: Thank you for listening to AZ Common Ground. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Gerald, Director of Public
0: Health Policy Management at the University of Arizona. Thank you for listening to Arizona Common Ground.
1: I think you have to kind of be prepared and to really make solid arguments about why something
0: would be beneficial. This is your host, Krista, and you are listening to AZ Common Ground. I am here with Cherie um, in the basement of the Senate, and I am here in her awesome office. And she, I finally was able to schedule some time with her because things have been so nuts up here,
2: yes. and we are finally here. So thank you, Cherie, for your time, and can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Cherie Stone. I am the Legislative Research Analyst for the Senate Health and Human Services Committee.
0: Awesome. How did you... What got you into politics or what got into
2: into this position? Um, I kind of ended up here accidentally. I always (laughs) say um, I was a history and philosophy major in college, so my... um, Trajectory after college was a little bit unknown. There was kind of two silos you could go to it was grad school or teaching. And I didn't necessarily have any interest in either of those two things, but I did know that I was really interested in law. Um, But I didn't know what that looked like for me. I didn't really want to be, you know, the typical lawyer screaming in a courtroom that didn't um, sound very appealing to me but I really liked the research and writing side of things and so I was kind of looking for ways to to see what opportunities um, were out there what careers were out there that kind of had that sort of thing going. Um, And I actually found, um, I was applying, trying to apply to law school in the meantime, also studying for LSATs, and I was looking for things to put on a resume um, for when I applied to law law school, because in my previous life, I was a bartender and waitress which doesn't necessarily wow wow admissions committee i
0: also have a background and used to work in the restaurant industry so i feel like all successful people
2: started somewhere yeah yeah i think everybody should have to do some sort of service industry work at some point um so i saw an ad in our state press um at asu for a page position here um, which you've probably seen the pages in the building. They wear the really stylish, uh, Navy blazers and khakis and the cool ties. Uh, and for our listeners that may not know what pages are, cause I don't know if we've gone over that no. yet.
0: So they're part of the staffing that pretty much makes this all go around. Can you give us more description? Yeah, yeah.
2: So, um, the pages, um, are an awesome, uh, portion of our staff here they're basically kind of the behind the scenes we always call them like the magic mice or something from like cinderella you know because they they make sure that all of our rooms are set up they um help distribute a lot of the documents that need to go around the building um they help you move if you need to they really kind of will do anything and everything you ask them to do and they're really awesome and this place wouldn't work without them, so.
0: From what I've seen, they are all incredibly kind. They are all extremely professional and
2: just so fast paced, but also flexible. Yes. There, it's amazing to see uh, yeah, every absolutely. single page. We yeah, there there's always a really great group of people, and and Jenna and Joe who run that office do a really great job of of really developing and mentoring those kids. It's really cool to see them come in, you know, really wet behind the ears the first day, and by the end, you know, of of session, they're you know, oh, I want to come back, or you know, they they've kind of found some inspiration um, for the future. So it's always really awesome to, to see them. So that's how you started. So yeah, that's how I. started started. started. um, And I didn't really have any political background. Um, I remember when I came for my first interview here, I was wondering where John McCain's office was. Um, So I didn't really even know the basic difference between state and federal, um, nor how that worked or what the environment was down here. Um, And by some miracle, Jenna and Joe hired me. um, And I immediately loved it like I you we say you get bit by the bug here and I definitely got bit by the bug and so that as a page you're just here through sessions sometimes they keep some on depending you know some go to college and things like that but they always need a few full-timers so luckily they asked me to um, stay on and I've kind of just made my way Um, Through that, I started down in research, actually, as the receptionist, um, and then uh, there was an opening for an assistant analyst position down here, and I ended up getting that and was the assistant analyst for the Judiciary Committee. Um, and that was kind of the thing where I was like that's what I wanted to be Garth Camp at the time was the Judiciary Committee analyst and I just wanted to be Garth that was like my goal of life so um, I mean I could never be Garth but but you know yeah yeah so so that's kind of how how I ended up down here and I always say accidentally because I had no idea what I do was a job I didn't know that there were you know people like me that that Provided this service to um to the members, or that that I could do that with you know without a JD or or something like that. Um, it's kind of nice finding a job you love by accident, and um, it's all kind of serendipitous, I guess.
0: That is incredible. Yeah, and I'm gonna add and correct me if I'm wrong. You've been here for nine years. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So (laughs) I just want to add that in because when I first met Sheree, she was one of the most knowledgeable people and was super kind and gave me tons of tips. I'd be like, Sheree, can you explain this or how does this work? And I just,
2: I really appreciated that. And I realized that you had nine years of wisdom. So that kind of all made sense. No, I love that. It's one of my favorite parts of my job is explaining to people, you know, um, because if there aren't people for me to explain the process to, then there's a lot going on in this brain that has nowhere to go. Um, but, But yeah, I've been here since... Um, Well, I started in 2008, that session. Um, I left for two years. to. I was the legislative liaison for the Arizona Department of Administration for a year. Um, And then after that, I moved to Oregon and worked for their uh, legislature as their rules analyst for a year. Um, And then they called me back here. So um, so yeah, so I'm back for about a year and a half now um, doing health and human services. That is incredible. Well, thank you, Cherie, for the introduction. That was quite
0: incredible. So one thing when I first started the internship here with Senator Carter is I realized I was super excited, eager, you know, just trying to absorb everything, did my research and and then I get to committee and I realize I sit down um, with you know where all the public can sit and I look and I don't know who's in the middle and I was like, "Wait, I know those are the senators. What's who's this group in the middle?" Can you walk us through who those individuals yeah. are?
2: So um, in each committee room, um, you're right, there's a, there's normally three kind of staff tables. So there's one, if you're facing the dais, there's one to the left that's typically uh Democratic staff. Um, And then to the right hand side, there's normally a table, and that's our our Republican staff. And then in the middle um, is uh, research staff. So, whichever version of me is in that committee. So, if it's transportation, it's Zach. If it's judiciary, it's Jake. Um, And then who else? So, normally, um, then it's also our interns. So, every year we have a group of interns um, that come and basically They work right alongside us, and they present bills and write fact sheets and do all the things that we do, and they help us out immensely during session. Um, So, your intern, our our interns are at the table with us, um, and then an assistant. If we have an assistant um, analyst for our committee, I'm lucky enough that um, I have Alana there. So it's it's um, Ajane, my intern right now, me at the table, Alana who's my assistant, and then we have Aimee, who's our committee secretary. Um, And the committee secretaries are also kind of one of the the behind-the-scenes um, staff members that are very important because they sit in committee with us and they actually do the transcription of everything that that goes on. So when the minutes come out um, for a committee, they're the ones that produce that, which is really great for records keeping because then in twenty years we can go back and see, you know, who said what during a certain bill hearing and and get names and and their positions and stuff like that. So uh, so yeah, there's there's a little little core group of us um, there in the middle and and we're. Um, we're really responsible for the committee procedures, which is why we sit in the middle. So in case anything, if a motion is done incorrectly, we can kind of get our chair, vice chair's attention, kind of course correct that. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So then uh, what, what was the name of the individual that transcribes everything? So uh, that's the committee secretary, um, the secretary Our for Health and Human Services. Her name is Aimee, and she and, is excellent. <laughs> I bet. And so it's different. For each committee, right? Yeah, so there's the same group of people. So every every um, committee has a committee secretary, an intern. They're they're just different people. So Imy does a couple of committees, Toy does a couple of committees, and Shelly does a couple of committees. Um, so, so yeah, they're they're kind of down there in the trenches with us. If we're there for you know a twelve hour committee hearing, they're they're right there with us. So, wow. um, so yeah, they're definitely a, an important and beloved part of our teams for sure. So I was trying.
0: That's fascinating, and I am
2: so glad I learned
0: that because
2: yeah, I was wondering. You know,
0: I'm thinking of those four people and like who reads amendments, what's behind the research. Anyways, let's go back to the committees. Yeah. So I know there's a Health and Human Services committee. Mm-hmm. There's a Rules. There's agriculture. Can you tell me the one, just shoot off as many committees as you can
2: think of? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I have health and human services. We have judiciary, uh, commerce. We have the finance committee, uh, the government committee, appropriations, where all the money bills go through. Uh, this year, we have two education committees. So there's just general education. Um, And then we have higher education and workforce development, I believe it's called. Um, And then we have transportation and public safety. And then we have the two uh, committees that Caitlin does. So that's uh, water and agriculture and something in energy, environment and energy. But, okay. yeah, so. so <laughs> I think incredible. I got most of them. <laughs> so, to our
0: listeners that were just heard of that list, imagine every single one of these committees has that core team, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. That is a lot of people. I'm trying to paint a picture because people don't understand when we're in Tucson or if you're not here at the Capitol, you kind of don't understand how things run. You know, you're always wondering, well, how do people keep up with bills? Like, how can they read all this? And it's like, well, they have this amazing staff that does fact sheets and they brief them.
2: Yeah, yeah. We really are um, support staff, and it's kind of a thing where a lot of people, I think, don't know about us. I mean, we're down in the basement. We kind of, you know, you just see us when we present bills and things like that. And there's sort of this part of, well, if you don't know who we are, it almost means we're doing our job right because we are supposed to kind of be, you know, behind the scenes, um, particularly because we are nonpartisan staff. And so, you know, we're really just there to to. Give the facts, say what the bills do, stand for any questions, and really just to be there to support um, the committee and all of our members when they're making a decision about a bill.
0: Yes, and I was fascinated the first time I saw you guys reading those bills, and it, it really is, you know, you just give the facts. If you have questions, like the language, you guys are just super professional, so I I, I'm, I was very impressed. Yeah. Can you talk to our, our listeners about how... You address the committee, and and what is the name of that those rules? The way you address committee.
2: Oh, so well, we have uh, we have Roberts Rules of Procedure, yes. and then we also have our our internal, just like Senate rules. But all of those dictate, um, and really, um, well, there's I guess another layer of that is just parliamentary procedure as well, um, and all of those kind of dictate how you interact um, in any given committee hearing or meeting. Um, and those same rules apply to me as they do to the general public as well. So we're all under the same, you know, set of, set of rules when we're when we're in committee. The first, I guess, kind of thing that people notice about when they come to committee is that there's a lot of. Madam Chair, Mr. Chair, back and forth there. That can kind of get confusing, but it's also a really important part of those rules because it helps to um, kind of keep everybody organized and to ensure that um, the chairman, since they're the person who really is in control of the room and kind of what's being said, that everything is kind of approved uh, essentially by them. so when you uh, kind of say even when I get up and present a bill I say madam Chair and members um, and then I kind of go go into my spiel about the bill but if my chair wanted me to, they could stop me right there and say no, I don't want you to present that bill So um, it kind of keeps everybody also I think from assuming um, you know that uh, that what they're saying is kind of, what the chair wants to be going on, whether or not that be a bill presentation or uh, whether or not somebody might be kind of giving a very lengthy and belabored uh, testimonial (laughs) at the podium. So, so
0: yeah. So when we're talking about the introduction, and I want to add this because I am so glad you brought it up, when you do come, if you do come and give testimonial, everything goes through the chair. As she mentioned, it's a way of keeping the kind of coordination and making sure the system flows and given the opportunity for people to speak. And so there's a reason that this system exists. Yeah, and so absolutely. can you, about Robert's rule, so you address and the way to think about it is everything goes to the chair. So if you want to say something to maybe another member, you say Madam Chair, and then you either say the name of the representative or the senator that you want to speak to. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and there's not really, I mean, there's a couple different ways you could, you know, say Madam Chair and members Madam Chair and addresses specific um, Senator if you want to. Some people get flustered up there when it comes to, like, specifying names because sometimes it's the first time, you know, you might be seeing this person and you want to make sure you pronounce their last name right or something. So a lot of people just default to Senator. Yes, um, uh, is, is that bad or is that okay? No, I, I think it's perfectly fine. I think better safe than sorry um, as somebody who gets their name mispronounced all of the time, you know. I <laughs> (laughs) I definitely understand, um, you know, people kind of being a little bit wary and not again, not kind of like assuming that um, somebody's name might be pronounced a particular way. Um, So. So, yeah. And I mean, a lot of times I think members appreciate it just because, uh, you know, brevity is appreciated and and even saving those few seconds sometimes um especially during a long committee hearing you know they they kind of like that kind of thing um and and also i think sometimes because a lot of times if a member asks a if a specific member asks a question of either staff or or somebody um at the at the podium um it going through the chair and having that kind of um dialogue that's prefaced by those you know madam chair and senator it also keeps people from debating at the podium um as, as as well which oh, is yeah. one of the major reasons why why we do that it kind of you know that's uh you don't want forth. back and forth you right. want the order you want there to be dialogue for yes. the record
0: right. <laughs> it's not yeah. a shouting contest
2: yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and really what you know because those people who um, Who aren't even in the room can be watching that, other you know, watching the committee hearings from other places, or as we mentioned, we go through and read the minutes or something like that. And um, you know, we really want there to be more of an informational exchange than some um, political, politically charged dialogue where nobody is really learning about the bill or getting more information about why a bill may or may not be necessary or the impacts or or things like that. So they kind kind of try and. Cut some of the more theoretical discussions um, off for either offline, you know, conversations, or at a later time.
0: Thank you. Yeah. That was so good. And I heard the bell. So something uh, that our listeners might not know is, right before session floor starts, we hear these bells, and it goes dun, dun, dun yes. and then it goes. Floor session will begin in ten minutes yeah. or five minutes. There's, so there's a ten and a five. I am so glad <laughs> that you just gave us that little <laughs> timeline. So. I have two more questions that I think that I'll pick then. Um, And then if there's anything you'd like to add, I'll give you time to to speak to the listeners. So we were thinking if we wanted to ask health-related questions about how to help policy analysts or people in your position, such as myself who's a grad student and I study public health law, Mm -hmm. is how can we help you? Because I see you and you have so much work. You're constantly doing research. You're constantly writing papers. I mean... We've rescheduled this meeting. I can't even tell you how many times, but that is just to paint a picture of how you have to be fluid and flexible and how much work you're doing. How what can we do as academics to help you or to give information?
2: So I think um paying attention to what goes on down here is definitely kind of I mean, if you're if you don't know what's going on down here, you don't know to kind of share share information. So um I think having any kind of, you know, finger on the pulse of what's going on down here, um, whether it's, you know, just general public health issues. So if you're interested in the hundred some bills that we did this year um, <laughs> there's been a lot um, so many. yeah um, then then that's great you know um, or if there's just a specific bill like I've had a few um, I normally have a few college students every year reach out to me um, that that ask you know can I give you more information about this I'm researching this right now or you know that really are interested in a particular issue and they kind of want to get looped into to, to um, kind of almost the stakeholder Holder group, um, which is you know kind of the group of industry people or interested parties who convene meetings to sort of develop um, and work on legislation throughout um, sessions. So um, a lot of times I have. Um, People asking me, how can I, you know, get into that group? I want to be there. And um, a lot of times, things like that, especially in the public health space, those are absolutely open, you know, groups where we do want, you know, input from, from anybody interested. So... Um, it's always nice to hear when um, you know people finally realize like oh that's that's an open door and I can um, you know I can participate as well. I think learning how to to track bills, learning who you know staff is and having that kind of you know awareness too really helps um, even if there's something that uh, if you're researching something particular and we might not need information about it at that given time, You know a year or two down the road there might be a bill that fits right into what you called me about and i will remember you know so and so called me and and most likely reach out to them because you know, while we are research staff, we don't do originating research. Everything that I'm looking up is, you know, current law, case law, comparative analysis of what's going on in all the other states. So when we get into the real technical side of some of the public health things, um, especially in in the medical world, you know, I really rely on experts, um, researchers, um, who are actually out in the field because I don't have that experience. Um, to kind of show me what that world looks like. Um, Interesting. Do you guys have any partnerships with like colleges or? Not necessarily um, particular to research staff. Normally, um, a lot of the partnerships for for research opportunities and kind of that information sharing go on at the agency level. So I'm sure DHS and sometimes we, you know, uh, write a lot of bills that were, have reporting requirements and things like that. And a lot of times like DHS will partner with ASU or U of A or um, whatever kind of other foundations might be out there that are cultivating that data. Um, and, and they'll, you know, no, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Somebody else is already out there, you know, been has been gathering and doing the analysis. And so they really try and um, try and find those opportunities to use what, what work is already out there before they just start doing something new. And then at the same time, then you're making those connections and communication throughout the industry um, as well. So
0: piggybacking on the efforts that already exist. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's absolutely. smart. So starting from zero. Um, what, our last question. So back to the people... And how we can kind of interact with you guys. How important are infographics and fact sheets? For example, I was working on the telemedicine bill, and luckily it passed. I am, yeah, I am, my hands are up because I'm super excited. Um, and uh, but I created infographics and fact sheets. Do I heard? I know we can share them with our senators and with our representatives. Is there any way to get that to you guys?
2: yeah absolutely I um so i'm well i'll give you my card yeah, <laughs> but right. you can um if you you can just call down here and i don't know if you want to give the phone number no no we won't put on the uh, podcast we'll add in the link if you uh, really want to yeah <laughs> you can always um just contact research staff let them know you know you can just say a general subject matter they'll get you they'll get you to which one of us is is relevant okay. um and you can just email them over and those always help too even if it's it's just like a, a jumping off point for me to do my research. If somebody's giving me, you know, a really great infographic, it'll kind of point me in the direction um, or help me kind of understand how I might need to shape. Um, like a summary narrative to get other people who know nothing about a particular subject matter up to speed so that they can then understand the implications of a bill
0: oh yeah and definitely if you are going to do something like that add in your sources and full citations and the reason i say that is for everyone from the undergrad to the graduate level because that is the way that we can help not just informed, but I mean, I'm telling you, he has so much work. If we really want to give them the right information and at least open the door and be like, hey, have you heard about this study or about this better practice or this program
2: that did fantastic, like put in your citations. Absolutely. Well, and we use those citations now too, um, especially because we're kind of, catching up to technology here now. And now if you um, see our fact sheets online, uh, when we cite a piece of statute or a study or a publication from like a federal um, agency, we now link all of those uh, within, sources. yeah. Oh. Or sources within the documents too, so that other people can go and see our primary, um, sources as well. So, oh, so I yeah. Yeah. Sure yeah.
0: You. Um, I know we have to go, but is there anything else
2: you'd like to tell our listeners? No, I don't think Perfect. so. No, I know. No, thanks for coming and are... talk to me. I always like to let people know, you know, that, uh, that, Public participation is really important to what we do down here. And like I said earlier, everybody here has an open door policy, whether it's, you know, to go check out committee or to come talk to us, you know, about a bill. Um, you can always feel free to, to kind of make your way down here and come check it out. Thank you so much. And thank you, Cherie, for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye-bye, everyone.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Krista, and I'm your host for AZ Common Ground. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are recording from the Senate basement. Um, and I have never been here before, and I'm here with Roxana, who's a policy advisor. And thank you, Roxana, for your time. Nice, yeah. Um, I'd like to you know, talk about behind the scenes and give a behind the scenes look on the process of a bill and your perspective on actually being staffed. So can you uh, introduce yourself? Sure,
1: um, so thanks Krista for coming in and uh, speaking to me. So my name is Roxana Petonis. I am a policy advisor for the Democratic Caucus here in the Arizona Senate. Um, I specifically staff the two education committees that we currently have, as well as a commerce committee here in the Senate. But I'm so happy to have you here, happy to answer any questions about behind the scenes of the legislature um but yeah
0: thank you yeah when I walked in actually you have it right here this huge its like a twice the size of a bible and it's an education code and I was so fascinated when I walk in I'm like books everywhere so that's fascinating thank you for your time so can you share your story on how you became a policy advisor yeah, so
1: um, not too long ago, I was uh, doing my undergraduate at Arizona State University at the Tempe campus, so I focused, or my major was uh, political science, and I minored in Spanish literature, so I've always just kind of had an interest in government. Uh, growing up, my family and I would uh, go to Mexico very often, so I was always like intrigued about how governments function and how they work together. Um, So that kind of drew me to um, political science when I was in college. And in my time, while I was doing my major, I did a lot of internships one of those internships was actually during my sophomore year in college. I did uh, something that's called the PAGE program. The PAGE program, you they're pretty, I think PAGEs are still in existence uh, down in Congress, um, but at the state level, we have a PAGE program here uh, where it's typically college students um, doing an internship here at the state legislature, and they're kind of what help the legislature runs so they move mm-hmm. laptops they provide coffee and drinks for meetings um, they guide people that are here that's their first time they're not sure where to go so the le- the pages are kind of they're doing all of this work behind the scenes um to really just help the building keep moving um so i participated in that program. And that was my first exposure to the legislature. Like literally my interview day was the day that I stepped foot in the at the legislature. I just found it just amazing, really. Um, having never been here, having never experienced this, it was really a, an eye-opening experience, even from that page perspective. Um, and so during that internship, I found out that there was uh, something called the legislative uh, internship. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a little bit different than the page program. As legislative interns, you're kind of working side by side with a policy analyst, um, and you're basically doing the work of a pol- policy analyst at the intern level. Mm-hmm. So you're learning how to read legislation, you're learning how to analyze it, and also how to communicate all of all of that to other people. Um, and so after my page program, um, the following year. I applied for that internship because I I knew that I wanted to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's a it's a very competitive program, but luckily I, I got into the internship program. Um, my internship was actually over across the across the courtyard over in the house, mm-hmm. and I interned for a partisan staff, which is the Democratic the House Democratic staff. So, um, I guess for background for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, Here at the legislature, in both chambers, we have a a majority staff, which is the Republican staff, and then we have a nonpartisan staff that staffs all members of the body. Um, And then we have your minority staff, which uh, staffs the Democratic members of the body. So members can get all the information via their staffs, basically.
0: Yeah. Wait, I'm so glad you tapped into that, because that was one of my questions. So I was like, are there different policy advisors and different policy analysts? Per party, and then I didn't know there was just a partisan that was all-encompassing. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I'm part of the partisan
1: staff for the Democratic side. Um, And then we have our nonpartisan research staff, and then we have our Republican um, policy staff. Um, So I got to intern on the Democratic side, on the House side. Um, I was still in college at the time, but... It was kind of that experience that solidified my interest in it. I had never felt so passionate about something. Granted, I was still in college, and so this was, again, just something new. But the ability to read, understand legislation, and also interact with stakeholders and interact with policymakers and decision makers at the end of the day— was just something that really piqued my interest and piqued my passion. So I, I knew that I wanted to kind of stay in this field. So after, go ahead. May I add something?
0: Yeah. I, I, when I walked in, I did, I want to just tell the listeners that you got a, an award from the Arizona House of Representatives. I'm looking at a certificate that you actually received for being an outstanding staff person. So this passion that you had at the university really paid off. And then I walk in and I, I met Roxana and she agreed to interview and talk with me and and I walk in and they're like well this is her office this beautiful office you are all in literally
1: no you're 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 too complimentary no um after college I applied for a few positions just like this or um some on research staff mm-hmm. didn't get them didn't have enough experience at the time The position opened up in uh the senate minority staff and i had actually applied for this this staff previously didn't get it applied again and it was just my time to to get the job and so luckily (laughs) luckily i i got the job and i've been here now for this will be my third session on this staff so that's kind of how i got here wow
0: yeah and tell me about your role what what do you do as a policy advisor
1: yeah so as a policy advisor so i mentioned i specifically work for uh the minority caucus here in the senate um and we are we are a staff of, I want to say it's about eight people now. Uh, we have our chief of staff and then we have our policy advisors. And so each policy advisor handles a specific committee. So I mentioned I handle the two education committees here as well as the commerce uh, committee here. So our role is really to... Uh, be able to prepare our members uh, with the best information before they vote on any piece of legislation. And so basically what our role is, and with the help of our interns as well, we analyze legislation, read kind of the minutiae details of of bills that the committees are hearing. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is unique to our role that is something that Uh, research staff doesn't necessarily do is we have the ability to interact and engage with stakeholders. So one of my primary jobs is to communicate with stakeholders on specific legislation and basically ask them, how does this impact you? Are you in favor? Are you opposed? Um, Are you working with the sponsor to change it so that you can be in a neutral position. Um, And so all of that information we take um, and we communicate that to our members on a weekly basis before committee, as the bill is moving to the floor, um, we prepare them to make the best, to make their most, to make the most educated vote that they can.
0: And do you create fact sheets for every single bill? Sort of. Sort well, I mean, in that committee, yeah, right? Because yeah. that'd be impossible to do. I mean, so, all of the bills, so you divvy right. it up by committee. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah.
1: And thankfully, our fact sheets are not uh, posted online like research is, but we do create a sort of a briefing document that the members get before committee, and we'll
0: run through that before they vote. And going back to what you mentioned, because yeah. that is something I'm still learning. <laughs> so I realize the fact sheets are not public, but the research sheets, or what, what's right. the difference? Can you explain that to me? Sure. sure. So um, the
1: nonpartisan research staff publishes fact sheets that do get posted, and so that gives you uh, primarily some background on the issue that the bill is covering, um, and then uh, basically the changes that the bill is making to current law. Mm-hmm. Um What we do is not published. Mm -hmm. Um, Primarily, I mean, we work for only our, I only work for my 13 members, so the work product that I produce is just for them. It's not necessarily for the public consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and mostly what I have in that document is it's very similar to a fact sheet. I'm uh, outlining what the bill does, how that changes current law. If there is current law, like what, what what is it and how does that affect, you know, the changes that we're proposing. But in there, I might add, um, like I mentioned, the stakeholder input, which is a big piece. That's um, huge. That is so cool. <laughs> I did not know you guys did that. Yeah, yeah. I think... I think that is really what distinguishes our job from the nonpartisan research is that we are able to reach out to those stakeholders and gauge where there are on some issues. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, I love that. And I'm going to go back to the, the fact sheets and I'm going to try to get it right when I see the fact sheets and then when is the research. What is what's the term?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a fact sheet that the that nonpartisan research puts out. Yes, Got it. yeah.
0: <laughs> and so you guys make them. Is it just you, or do you have like a a group? Or
1: um, no, it's it's just me and my intern, and we just uh, produce that for our members, and we try to run through it as quickly as we can because our members are so busy; they have meetings. So we we try to basically
0: give them the most important
1: details of what things are moving at the time
0: that's amazing I feel like it's like you everyone's always trying to run and keep up and and if and so how do you choose what to put in each in each of these uh fact sheets that you create
1: sure so I think I've seen sort of like two approaches while I've Mm -hmm. been here and one is um a briefing might outline just the most important parts of what the member needs to know. Like one, two, three, boom! This is what the bill does. The approach that I that I most often do is I put all of the information before the members. So. Um, the idea behind that is I would feel better as if they had all of the information rather than missing some information. So when I'm verbally explaining, I might just highlight, you know, three to four points. Here are the key details. Here's who hates it. Here's who likes it. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what we've heard about it. Um, here's watch, what to watch out for.
0: Exactly. Be ready for
1: this. Exactly, yeah, I know that makes exactly. sense. So like if, if the member has time to read the entire document, they can, but during that meeting time we have with them. Um, I'm usually just going through highlights.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you just a quick overview, and it doesn't have to be exact, but how many bills have gone through those three committees that you're Ooh, seeing?
1: I should have been prepared to answer that. No, question. no, no. Just, <laughs> just a
0: random number. Yeah, Is it um, like more than 20? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I would say somewhere in the range of both Senate bills and House bills, probably closer to 60 to 70 bills. Yeah,
0: that's a lot of work. That's a lot of, and how much time do you have to put these together? Um, Or about?
1: Yeah, so usually the committee agenda will come out a week before the committee meets. Mm -hmm. I will brief my members uh, one to two days before that committee meeting. So usually I have. Somewhere between four to five days to put it together but it's also for three committees so they're all kind of in moving parts um, <laughs> so it is a balancing act and session is session is is pretty rough but there's always we know there is an, an end in sight so that kind of makes it better mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah Wow. yeah and um, so let's say session starts first hearing mm-hmm. and then all the bills go in yeah. and then I'm gonna kind of switch it a little bit and yeah. I want to talk about some terms because I didn't know yeah. much about them yeah, so I discovered during my time at the legislature that there's terms such as dropping
1: yeah
0: and hopper yeah and certain terms like that or um, and I mean I know cow, committee of the whole yeah. but yeah. Uh, dropping a bill or mm-hmm. dropping yeah. the bill in the hopper can you maybe explain that to us a bit? sure so uh, typically So our session starts in
1: the first Monday of January, and it can be about 100 days. Typically, it's longer. It can be shorter. It has been in the past. But uh, typically, within the first month of session, we have uh, certain deadlines for the Senate and the House for members to introduce bills. So a member... What's the deadline again? Um, Let me see. Um... So the deadline for the Senate was January 28th. January 28th
0: for the Senate. Wow.
1: And then the House has a a much more extended deadline. I believe theirs is February 11th. February 11th. Wow. Yeah. So basically dropping it in the hopper means the member has to have what we call an intro set, which is something that we get from legislative counsel. Legislative counsel are the attorneys that are putting together the actual legislation. Um, so it's the intro set is typically just a folder with the bill inside the folder and then um, a place for co-sponsors to sign. So if a member wanted to have co-sponsors on the bill, that co-sponsor would sign that intro set, but dropping it in the hopper means that member, a member, a senator, or a representative is dropping that intro set into what we call the hopper, which is upstairs with our Senate secretaries or in the House, it's the chief clerk's office um, who is in charge of filing those folders or those bills technically. Um, so that's what dropping it in the hopper is. It's it's kind of this term. The house actually has an actual like frog in there. Not a real frog. It's yeah, just yeah, like yeah.
0: A, a thing that makes a frog noise. It makes noise. Yeah. The Senate has, I, I actually got oh, to look. Yeah. I took a picture of it and it's yeah. this huge frog. It doesn't make noise yeah. though, yeah. but I was very interested. Yeah. And So that's the intro set. Yeah. And so does that mean the language is already drafted for the bill? Yes. Yeah, so typically
1: the member will have likely um, have worked in the interim or in the fall on this piece of legislation that they work with staff and then we work with our legislative council to to basically take an idea into a bill form. And then by January 11th, they have something to drop into that hopper.
0: And when do, um, when can people start working with, or when can legislators start working with the legal counsel?
1: Um, Typically, at any point in time, they are available to us. Um, The requests usually start flowing around the fall, so that's usually when we're working more with them, but... It, it could be at any point, really.
0: The fall being before session Correct. starts. Okay, I just want to Correct. remind everyone yes. that's listening because yes. I we've mentioned it a few times, but yeah. it's very important that if you have an issue that you're very passionate about mm-hmm. and you do want to uh, you know work with a legislator to get them to sponsor what would be your bill, you need you have to work before session starts because if you come during session, you're already too late. Yes. So yes. as Roxana mentioned, all that work gets done in fall. Yes. So that's months before January. Yes, Yes. Awesome. Thank you for for explaining that to me. That was very interesting. And um, so you don't draft the legislation, because that was actually one of my questions. So legal counsel does that before.
1: Typically, um, we try to basically outline as much as we can of what we want in the bill for Ledge council just to make their job easier mm. also so that there's clarity in our request um, but all of the legal lease and all of the legal terms um, we can attempt to do as much as we can but at the end of the day it's Ledge council putting all of it together technically mm. that's their specialty yes. yeah that makes sense yes. you need
0: the language yes. yeah and i'm sure they're all well versed in rules and and then by rules, I mean, the there's a committee of rules, which yes. um, every bill has to pass through. So they are very well versed with the type of language that has to be outlined. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, So you mentioned there are different analysts for for each committees. Mm -hmm. And so I'm guessing there's different fact sheets for Democrats and Republicans?
1: Um, So what uh, what the nonpartisan research staff puts out is for everyone's consumption. Um, And then I don't know if if uh majority staff does like a briefing document they i assume they might but
0: gotcha. yeah i don't know no i, I didn't know yeah, either that's yeah. i'm i'm so glad cuz i was thinking how is it possible that these legislators can you know cuz there's so <laughs> much i was like there's no way they read every single bill right. like i there's it's just physically <laughs> impossible right, right, and so yeah. i'm starting to realize that oh they get fact sheets they get briefed you know you have yes. your stakeholder groups there's been a lot of work that's been done mm-hmm. beforehand so they right. Um, so they have an idea, yeah. um, and so if someone like myself, you know, is a graduate student that focuses on public health policy. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see an opportunity for us to share information and statistics or how can we get involved and help you guys?
1: Absolutely I think um, communicating with your legislature is important it's key making sure that they know that you are a resource to them Mm -hmm. Um, you know meeting with them exchanging emails having a phone call sometimes that can be difficult during a busy time like session but even in the off season you know members are still active they're still here they're still working on those issues um, so I would say communicating with them about um, about the resources that you can provide certainly as as institutions of higher education I know that even myself sometimes we, when we have issues um, I might just do a Google search and obviously I I I will use information from an accredited university and cite that. Um, So certainly making those documents or that information available or easily accessible Mm -hmm. is helpful. Um, I know in my conversations with our nonpartisan research staff, they certainly look at um, information that federal agencies put out. Um, So even having contact with those types of institutions is helpful um, just so that the val the work that you are doing is you know easily accessible to all people
0: yeah And if we wanted to, for example, I guess I'll share a little bit about yeah. myself. So I um, for a certain time period uh, in my graduate uh, profession, I, Got had the opportunity to work with the Asthma and Airways Disease Research Center at the mm-hmm. University of Arizona, mm-hmm. and it was awesome because I guess I'll get into like the policy right ahead. So yeah. we helped pass, or we worked with Senator Carter mm-hmm. to pass HB two two zero eight back when she was still in the, House, the House of Refs, the House of Representatives, and this bill allows schools to pretty much hold and administer stock inhaler albuterol, which is a rescue inhaler when kids are having asthma attacks. And it's kind of, you know, there's so many bills that sometimes seem like no brainers. Mm-hmm. And we're like, why aren't we doing this? Like, we're going to save so much money. Right. Kids only have two options, 911 or parents, you know, we need to yeah. help, right. you know, s- educators and those nurses to give them that option. And so, what can we do? So for example, we did it. Luckily, we worked with Carter yeah. from a while yeah. you know, back. We had a stakeholder group engaged. We had meetings. But let's say maybe our representative is not as available in that right. sense. Right. What can we do? Is there any way that we can get policy advisors or policy analysts information and share it with you guys? Or how does that work? Because I understand that there that might be like too much one way or another. So other than having our statistics or other than having our papers,
1: mm-hmm. You're right. hopefully
0: they're published or else yes. they won't be readily <laughs> online, but, um, how do we get that information? I'm just trying to see how we can bridge that.
1: Right, right. I think, um... So certainly, if, if if you've gone to your representative or your senator, and maybe they're not you know interested, or maybe you know it's not the right time for them, mm-hmm. um, I would say um, certainly if you have an issue, it, it probably affects other people other institutions or other entities. So I would say um, connecting with stakeholders that might have an opinion on what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So certainly like associations, statewide associations or even um, groups like um, grassroots groups that might be involved in some way. So I would say reach out to them as well because they might have, um, you know, an insight on which legislature is interested in this issue or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Certainly reaching out to um, a staff on the pardons side might be helpful only because, I mean, we do get those requests from organizations who say, hey, we have this great idea. Um, How can we get it implemented basically? Mm -hmm. Um, And we might be able, we as staff might be able to point them out to legislators in our caucus that are that have an interest in that area Mm -hmm. or that you know have constituents that have raised those issues and certainly they would take interest in that and sometimes you know even in those meetings with our members with our our senators they might tell you um, you know I may not be the best person to carry your idea to get it passed Mm -hmm. but I can put you in contact with this other senator who might be able to, you know, take that issue on and carry it forward. Um, So I think just kind of seeing your network, um, seeing which organizations or groups or constituents
0: also have an interest in that same issue is helpful as well. I really like how you mentioned that, because in the beginning of our meeting, you mentioned that you get to work with stakeholder groups. and, And we mentioned the importance of being, and I like how you not only mentioned being part of a, larger, maybe ALA, American Lung Association mm-hmm. or you know, American Diabetes Association mm-hmm. since we're talking about health or American Cancer Association, that's like higher, you know, uh, more upper level that we're talking about mm-hmm. but I also enjoy, you said, grassroots mm-hmm. and there's a lot of grassroots initiatives and a lot of great organizations that exist in Arizona and a simple Google search will help us do yeah. that but mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciate that you are mentioning joining an organization, maybe Arizona Public Health Association and making that voice bigger and then maybe you're saying that working with those stakeholders we might be able to share more information.
1: Correct. Just because by connecting with those larger kind of groups they might already have a contact here at the Capitol that they're say that's our go-to person gotcha. for all of these things. Or So just kind of identifying your people that can help you in your cause and that and that to expand your network basically
0: yeah awesome yeah and is there um is there anything you'd like to mention that i maybe have not asked did you have any questions about how the bill moves through the process or yeah tell me from as being staff kind of like what are those milestones what are those
1: milestones so again uh working in the interim on an idea um, typically during that time you're hopefully stakeholdering the idea with organizations like the ones you mentioned if it pertains to that area or you know if it's a, a if it's a topic on education you might reach out to school boards through, uh, through to the teachers union and things like that so at some point you're stakeholdering this idea hopefully before you're introducing the bill into the hopper. And so the bill gets introduced um, and a lot of bills will get introduced and then technically they're first read and assigned um, and then assigned to committees. So it might be assigned to the Health Committee, might be assigned to the Ways and Means Committee. Um, And then the goal after that is to have that bill put on an agenda for a, a committee hearing. Um, and so if the bill is on the agenda and heard and it passes, um, then it moves on to rules, which like you mentioned, uh, rules considers or ensures that the bill is in what they call proper form for consideration, which generally means that the bill is constitutional. Um, and so, if the bill has made it through rules, then it moves on to caucus, where the two caucuses can uh, have a discussion about the bill, and then the bill would move on to what we call committee of the whole (cow), uh, where you know, if you notice there was a hiccup in some of the language, maybe you can add an amendment on the floor in cow to make those changes. Um, after that, the bill will get, hopefully, will get put on a third read calendar. A third read is just kind of voting it out. Um, And then the bill gets transmitted to the House, goes through that same process all over again. Um, If the bill is changed over in the House in any way, then it has to come back to the Chamber of Origin. And then we have to do what they call a final vote, which means we vote on it again. Uh, to either approve or not approve the changes that the house made. And then ultimately it goes up to the governor and he can decide to sign it or veto it. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot of work in all of those steps, Uh, but it is a very fun process. And, um, I will say that, you know, we are bodies that are uh, political in nature, right? So we have uh, party line votes often, um, But I would say that, you know, our members and even at the staff level, like, I feel pretty comfortable reaching out to my majority staff counterparts. Um, Our members have, you know, constant interactions with members on the other side of the aisle. We are, you know, partisan institutions in some ways, but there is more bipartisanship than one would think. Um, So there are opportunities for that. So I
0: I would just say that. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because that's very true. And it seems that, uh, And having been here, I want to use myself as a case study showing that there are a lot of people that do, you know, it doesn't matter what party or you're like, hey, I know this is something you're interested, come join the stakeholder meeting, or hey, I know this you'd be interested in this bill do you want to co-sponsor it you know and so there is a lot it doesn't make it to the media but it exists and we need to build on that and so I'm gonna take this back I'm gonna (laughs) tell my colleagues that they need to get their papers published (laughs) that way they can that way they can be easily accessible and thank you so much for for your time and if the I, I, I greatly appreciate it, Roxana.
1: Absolutely. Anytime you have questions or you know someone that might have a question, feel free to reach out and happy to help in any way I can. Thank you, Roxana. Have a good one.
0: Just in time for a quick recap of today's episode, we learned that the people in the middle of the room are behind the scenes staff members that keep the legislative structure running. For those students interested in learning more about the legislative process, We learned that much existing staff started off in the PAGE program. Go to azledge.gov, scroll down to careers and internships. We learned that policy advisors, one of their primary jobs is to communicate with stakeholders and ask how a bill would impact them and if they're for or against a bill. They ask stakeholders if they are working with the bill sponsor to implement the suggested changes and what changes need to be made for the stakeholder team to go into a neutral position in order to find common ground. We learned that most existing stakeholder groups are open to the public, and the legislative staff do take into account the input that is expressed during the stakeholder meetings. So we should take advantage of that. Learning how to track bills, who the staff are, and how to address the committee are a few other things that we discussed in this episode. We learned that research staff looks at current law, state law, and does comparative analysis to see what's going on in other states to put together their fact sheets. And that for the technical side of public health, Staff relies on the researchers and specialists to give input. Having said that, the responsibility falls on us to be the educational platform and inform staff and legislative committees on best practices. So make sure to sign up at the Request to Speak system and begin networking. And by networking, I mean networking with stakeholder groups, agencies such as the Department of Health Services, DHS, legislators and other staff members. So come on team, let's be a resource, not a sales pitch. See you next time.